conquered death, conquered brokenness and separation. Our Heavenly Father's gift overcomes the world and brings life and immortality through the gospel. Just stop and contemplate what it is that our Heavenly Father did and has given to us in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was God's gift, crucified for our sins. Jesus obeyed without hesitation His Father. He blinked, but He never didn't obey. Now, how many of you could say that? Your dad told you to do something, you might blink and not want to do it, but were obedient and went ahead and did it. Oh man, kicking and kicking and screaming, right? The, the worst phrase I can ever remember my mother saying was, wait till your father gets home. And then you see them conferring at the front door. He's not even in the house yet. And then you hear that dreaded sound. At least back when I was a kid, it was a sound that was dreaded. And it was the belt coming. <laughs> yeah, Corey knows exactly what I'm talking about back there. It's the sound of that belt coming around his waist, right? He was going to hang it up. We know, I know why he was taking it off. He was going to hang it up. On my, on my backside first. And somehow I turned out okay. You see. Now some might question that, but for the, on the most, on the most part, turned out okay. Unlike kids today who believe that they can ridicule and malign and scream and curse at their parents. You ever heard it at Chick-fil-A? McDonald's? Anywhere. Doesn't matter. Softball field, football field, little league baseball field. Whew. Cindy made me quit coaching little little kids because I took it so personal that they wouldn't listen. And what really got me was it was a bunch of t-ball players, and I started screaming at them because they didn't know which way to run when they hit the ball. And then after I quit coaching it and sat back and watched it, I laughed like everybody else did. Because that was all part of it, isn't it? You just let them hit the ball, and you hope they run somewhere. But one of my favorite dad stories was when Jeff was starting T-ball. We were in Denver. And it was they were letting girls play with guys then. And... They got ready, the kiddo got up to hit, and they hit the ball, and boy, rolled out to center field. And the coach is screaming at one of the girls to pick up the ball and throw it in back into the infield. Well, she was sitting in center field, had her glove sitting on the grass, and she was picking the wildflowers out from between her legs. And the coach is just about to bust a blood vessel, screaming at her to throw the ball in. And he calls her by name and says, throw the ball. She says, I'm busy. You know, so some things. 
In Luke chapter 23, Jesus' death is described as a heavenly gift and a work of salvation for us. And then his resurrection is mentioned in chapter 24, which is proof that Jesus is the Savior, the Son of God, the Lord of our lives. Died as our Savior, rose to prove it, that He's our Lord. And so I want us to spend a little time today in chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke. So if you would turn there. And Luke stresses here, at least in a couple of ways, how Father's Day today fits this passage of Scripture in Luke 24. Now, because that chapter is 53 verses, I thought I would save you today, and I wouldn't read all 53 verses. So I'm going to give you, as Mark Barrier does, a breakdown of the chapter. Okay? Sometime this week, I want you to spend, take my notes that I've got in your bulletin. I want you to read. I want you to spend some time letting God speak to your heart. Speaking of Mark Barrier, by the way, the last Sunday, uh, the last night of his time with us in May, uh, the storms blew in and we couldn't have church. So he sent me copies of what he was going to teach that night. They're on the back table back here by the window. So if any of you want a printed copy of that, they're back there. If we run out, I'll make some more. Okay? So just wanted you to be aware of that. So if you want to grab those. He did the minor prophets, and what he's got on that page are over overviews of several of those latter prophets uh, that he didn't get a chance to teach until because of the storms. But in Luke 24... This chapter breaks down into three sections. The first one is verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 12. Jesus' resurrection is announced by the angels. So there's your first fill-in there. Jesus' resurrection. The Sundays that I put just a blank outline in without you blanks to fill in... It, it throws Sherry. She just can't. She wants me to have the blanks there. So I've got the blanks for you. So <laughs> Jesus' resurrection is announced by the angels. And they announce this resurrection to some women who've come to attend to the body and anoint the body with spices. Since they could not do it when the body was placed in the tomb three days Prior, They weren't allowed to. They put the rock over, remember? Big stone in front of the hole. Put a seal of Rome on top of it. And guards stationed out beside it. So that nobody could come steal Jesus. Then it says they ran back to tell the apostles. And the apostles, however, did not believe them. The disciples did not believe these women. Now, when's the last time your wife told you a whopper? Any of you guys want to admit to that? I didn't think so. That's a smart move on your part. 
Unlike me, I usually just blurt it right out. But the disciples had a hard time believing what they were telling them. Now you can imagine how difficult it might have been to receive that kind of information that he's not there. And yet, didn't Jesus tell them time and time again, leading up to this time, that he wasn't going to be there? But it just didn't resonate and register with them, did it? It's just like when you came to, to, to know Christ as your Savior, and you were told that, man, God's going to pour out blessings in your life. And all you got right after coming to Christ was turmoil after turmoil after turmoil. And you kept waiting, where's these blessing things coming? But then blessings are measured differently sometimes, aren't they? Sometimes not getting something is a bigger blessing than getting it. True? Can I get an amen? There we go. Second section in verses 13 through 32. Jesus appears to, this is the story of of him walking on the road to Emmaus, and he appears to two men. Two men were so absorbed in what he had been teaching and saying, they missed him. Didn't recognize him. Now, he was probably cloaked up a little bit. You know, had had a hood on. He didn't want anybody to know who he was. And he was just intrigued with their conversation. And, and he was visiting with them. They invited him to join them for dinner. As he blessed and broke the bread, then their eyes were opened. And they began to recognize him. It's kind of like the reason you invite preachers normally to come and have a lunch with you so that they can pray. Amen? Boy, you guys aren't laughing today or not. Cheer up a little bit. It's okay. Gee, you're making me work too hard. But their eyes were opened. And they began to recognize. But then, interesting section here because once they recognized him rather than carry on the conversation he disappears he just whoop that's an amazing thought process and it takes us into the third section of this chapter verses 33 through 53 so these men run back to report to the apostles And while they were speaking, Jesus appears among them. It'd be like us sitting here half asleep this morning. And Jesus just comes through the wall, sits on the front row. Would anybody notice? How'd that boy get in here? I thought we lock our doors at 10 till. How'd that boy get in here? Yeah. And, and this, what you're going to find in these verses is their condition was they were all terrified. Rather than be excited to see a resurrected Jesus, they were terrified. Now, how often do you 
encounter Jesus and it terrifies you. Normally, when we've committed sin, I'll raise my hand first. It terrifies me. I was raised in the type of a church as a kid that if you made one mistake, that's what the impression was left. You make one mistake, you're bound for hell, there is no hope for you. Then I get to college and find out that grace has something to do with all this and mercy. And then it dawned on me what a good definition of mercy is when you're in trouble and your big brother comes and stands in the gap between you and the person that's mad at you. I had that happen one time. Love to tell you that story sometime. Guy was wailing on me, and all of a sudden I hear this, Hey! <laughs> Thank God for big brothers, amen? Who then beat me all the way home for making him get involved, you see. Yeah. They were terrified. And you got to love how Jesus handled it. He asked them why they were so upset. What are you afraid of? Shows them his hands and his feet. Says, handle me and see if it's me. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. Ah, oh, they still didn't believe. They, didn't, they just didn't trust what they were seeing, that it was real. So Jesus said, do you have anything to eat? I'm hungry. Gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in front of them. You see, if, if he wasn't in flesh and bone, he wouldn't be hungry. And maybe he really wasn't hungry, but he's just trying to prove a point. Okay? Next Sunday night is our second backyard fellowship for the summer over at Wilson's. And there'll be plenty of food, there'll be plenty of fellowship, and there'll be plenty of water to swim in. So come on. You can belly flop in there like the best of them. Come on. If you can dodge the alligators that'll be in the water, they're called children. But Jesus explains His life, His death, His resurrection to them from what was written in the Scriptures. And He gave them the commission to go preach repentance and forgiveness of sin in His name to all nations starting in Jerusalem. And He promised them heavenly power to do the job. And not long after that, Jesus ascends to heaven. And when you stop and contemplate the whole story, you just got to go, wow. Wow. What a great ending to a great story. Jesus, who was crucified, is risen. He fulfilled all that was written about Him in the Old Testament Scriptures. And now He rules from heaven as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. So, two things I want you to take away that apply to you and me today, especially to dads that are with us today. First, think about God the Father's relationship with Jesus, His Son. Our Heavenly Father has had big plans for Jesus, His Son, from the very beginning of time. And those plans 
have been revealed to us throughout Scripture, and Jesus has followed the Father's plans to the letter, even when it cost Him His life. I said earlier that He blinked. Remember in the garden when He's praying, He says, if there's any other way, can we take, give me another route? But then He stopped and said, not my will, but yours be done. So He was willing to be obedient to Dad. So when Dad says, take out the trash, jump out of your seat and go take out the trash. Normally it works better for you if you do that. Amen? Then if they berate you and their veins stick out of their neck, you know. Oh, you didn't have to yell. Well, then don't make me yell. Yeah, I got it. Got my two grandsons living with me. And boy, they're just, they're something loud. Cindy and I have looked at each other a lot and said, now we know why young people raise children. I, I don't know what insect it is, but they eat their own they eat their own young. I understand that too. I mean at six o'clock when when you you know something's staring at you while you're laying in bed and you open your eyes and there's one of them just look at you because that's about the level they are, right? They don't mess on my side. They go to Gigi's side because she's a soft touch. But Jesus followed the Father's plan. Fathers among us today, let me ask you this. What plans do you have for your children? Are you, and, and how are you revealing those plans and preparing your children to follow them. Maybe we have to back up a bit and ask some more basic questions. Are fathers supposed to do this? Are parents supposed to have plans for their children today? Are we just supposed to turn them loose and let the world do what it needs to do? You see, I can give my kids plans, but if they don't want to work them, if they don't want to follow the plan, Are we just supposed to bring kids into the world and then let them go and figure it out? So where in the world did that idea come from? Because it seems to be a prevalent idea. That you just take your hands off and just let them figure it out. No, you don't let them figure it out. You're supposed to help guide them. Direct them. Coaches know this very well. I've read several articles recently about why parents should not coach from the sideline. And they do. Parents are the worst enemies of their own children. Let a coach coach them. Yeah. They're highly paid professional people. Let them. Well, they're professional people. <laughs> God the Father had plans for Jesus. True? And those plans were revealed and recorded in Scripture. Jesus executed the plans. And that's good. But what if God the Father had modeled His fathering after our modern concept of individuality and freedom of expression and self-discovery and personal fulfillment? What might Jesus' life have looked like if, if that were the case? Well, I can tell you in the garden... He'd have never gone to the cross. And you and I wouldn't have a Savior. Oh, yes, we would, preacher, because he'd have found somebody else. Maybe so. Maybe so. 
But what an example. What an example. Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. And yet, not my will. Finish it. Yours be done. He, he didn't come to fulfill himself. Jesus came here to, as the only begotten Son of God, who the Father said at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, my beloved Son, listen to him. So God the Father has entrusted all things to his Son, Jesus Christ. And why? Because Jesus is faithful as a Son, follows the will of the Father, loves his Father and is completely and is completely in submission to His Father and walks in perfect step with the will of His Father. Secondly, second takeaway I want you to take is He knew Jesus, His Son, perfectly and fully. He knew Him. He knew Him. Now, three boys... And growing up, I believe I knew them as well as I know myself. Because I am a male. My wife is a female. She doesn't always understand how men think. I know how they think. And so when the two older ones were fighting all the time, I said, I've had it. Go out in the backyard. So I pushed him out in the backyard. I shut the door. Cindy's hit me in the back saying, don't make them fight. I said, just wait. Just wait. One ran at the other one. The, other one, the older one threw him down. He ran and threw him down. They didn't hit each other. Fast forward about five years. The younger one looked at the older one and said, you want to go in the backyard? The older one all of a sudden great, gained great wisdom. He said, no, not really. <laughs> because he recognized that he had an advantage at one point, but five years later he didn't have an advantage. But we accomplished something. Maybe your, maybe your dad put boxing gloves on you and put you out in the backyard. Don't come in to one of you. I had older brothers like that. Except they didn't use boxing gloves. They just hit each other. The oldest brother walked in and my mother said, Where's your, where's your brother at? Oh, he's laying down out there taking some sun. We looked out there. He was knocked out. He knocked him come flat down. <laughs> I'm telling you. Sometimes you just have to do what you got to do. But Jesus was known by the Father in such an intimate way, in a perfect and a full way, that He knew that when He gave instructions to His Son, it would be followed. Fathers here today, how well do you know your children? How well do you know their hearts and their minds? What are their dreams? What are their aspirations? Where do you see them going? What are they talking about? What, where do they want to go? And you may have asked those questions and you're not getting the answers that you want. It's okay. Now we've got to turn them over to the Heavenly Father, don't we? Because ultimately that's where you've got to turn them over to anyway. 
Because when they begin to make decisions and they begin to drift away from the things that you've taught them to do, it's a heartbreak. But we just got to keep praying, don't we? We got to keep trusting the Lord. But do you really know them? Do you, do you know what's making them think? What's making them tick? If you could know, would you do what you could to give your children a life of, uh, of, of fulfillment and happiness and joy? Sure you would. Not a dad that I know that would. Not a parent I know that wouldn't give their children that type of life. What kind of parent-child relationships imagine, uh, do you imagine in, in your life with your kids? Can you imagine uh, the type of life that the Bible describes? What kind of honor are children called to have for their parents? What kind of nurture and admonition are parents called to give to their children? Great questions to ask. And the Bible is very clear what God needs us to do. And what God wants us to do. Irma Bombeck is one of my favorite writers. Uh, any of you like Irma Bombeck? She's gone too soon. But she wrote this about dads that I thought you might get a kick out of. She said, I received a letter from a single mother who had raised a son who was about to become a dad. And since he had no recollection of his own father, her question to me was, What do I tell him a father does? When my dad died in my ninth year, I too was raised by my mother, giving rise to the same question, What do fathers do? As far as I could observe, they brought around the car when it rained so everyone else could stay dry. They always took the family pictures, which is why they were never in them. They carved turkeys on Thanksgiving, kept the car gassed up, weren't afraid to go into the basement, mowed the lawn, tightened the clothesline to keep it from sagging. Especially if your brother's laying underneath it. (laughs) It wasn't until my husband and I had children that I was able to observe firsthand what a father contributed to a child's life. What did he do to deserve his children's respect? He rarely fed them. He didn't, he, he did, uh, did anything about their sagging diapers, wiped their noses or fannies, played ball or bonded with them under the hoods of their cars. So what did he do? Well, he threw them higher than his head until they were weak from laughter. He cast the deciding vote on the puppy debate. He listened more than he talked. He let them make mistakes. He allowed them to fall when their first two-wheeler, from their first two-wheeler without having a heart attack. He read a newspaper while they were trying to parallel park a car for the first time in preparation for the driving test. If I had to tell someone's son what a father really does that is important, it would be that he shows up for the job in good times and bad times. He's a man who is constantly being observed by his children. They learn from him how to handle adversity, anger, disappointment, and success. He won't laugh at their dreams no matter how impossible they might seem. He will dig out at 1 a.m. when one of his children runs out of gas. He will make unpopular decisions and stand by them. And when he's wrong and makes a mistake, he will admit it. He sets the tone for how family members treat one another, members of the opposite sex, and people who are different than they are. And by example, he can instill a desire to give something back to the community when it needs, uh, when its needs are greater than theirs. But mostly a good father involves himself in his kids' lives. The more responsibility he has for a child, the harder it is to walk out of his life.
A father has the potential to be a powerful force in the life of a child. Grab it. Maybe you'll be a greeting card, or maybe you'll get a greeting card for your efforts. Maybe not. But, it's steady work. Isn't that a great thought process? Maybe your dad was that way. I can tell you one thing. Our Heavenly Father cares more than you would ever know. Cries when we stray. Is overjoyed when we come home. So today is a good day. Maybe you have a decision to make. And if you have a decision to make and want to make it, today would be a great day to do it. Especially related to salvation or your deepening your walk with God. Would you pray with me please? Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for these that are here. I pray a special blessing upon them. I pray a special blessing upon all dads that are here today. And Father, I just pray, earnestly pray, that you will do uh, a blessed work in them. And Father, that they will sense your presence today. And Father, that they'll hear from all their children. And they will be blessed and honored uh, because of it. But God, thank you so much for loving us to send your son Jesus to die for us. And not only to die for us, but then to rise from the grave. If there's one here today, Father, that needs to make a decision, would you give them courage to do it? In Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.